0: This is Loudspeaker. I am here today with Mari Frank, attorney, mediator, professor of dispute resolution, professional speaker, trainer, author of five books. She's her own radio show talk host media commentator, my goodness, when I was looking over her accolades, she has been on everything. The O'Reilly Factor, Dateline, NBC, 48 Hours, ABC Nightly News, and Investigative Reports. And I am so thrilled to have her here with us tonight. Get ready for a very interesting conversation as we talk with Mari today about her amazing book that she co-authored called Fighting for Love. It's Turn Conflict into Intimacy, A Couple's Guide, and my goodness, don't we all need that? Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. Mari, it's so wonderful to have you here today. Thank you for being here with us.
1: Stephanie, this is fun because you were just on my show. So this is a chance for us to interview each other and learn from each other. And I thought after reading your book, The Spark, I thought, well, this is something that really relates to what you do as well. So I thought you'd enjoy talking about fighting for love turn conflict into intimacy.
0: Absolutely. There's so much to learn from you. And even as a couples therapist, I found some of your techniques and some of the things that you bring forward are so essential and so important. So before we begin, though, on this great book, tell us a little bit just about your work in the world. What kind of is your spark, Mari? What's and passionate about your life right now. Give us an overview of what's happening in your world and where you've come from.
1: Well, I started out as a teacher, a high school and college and university professor and went back to law school. Of course, that was 35 years ago, and then I wanted to change the world. I thought in my heart that I had an S for service on my chest, but it turned out that I ended up being an attorney and thinking that this is, I was good at it, but I don't like to argue. I like to be a conflict resolver. So that's when I got into mediation and mediation is a way of resolving disputes without court with really healing relationships. I'm a healer of conflict, and so that's really what I've been doing. I've been healing conflict, whether it's divorce, which there's a lot of conflict there, or business or workplace. And and so that's really my passion is really healing conflict and helping people to understand how they can be look at things differently without killing each other. And we've seen so much with politics and everything else. We are really at a point where we need to have mindful communication, we need to use our emotional intelligence, and we use we really need to heal conflict in our country and in our world. So that is where I want to keep my focus in my life is to help be a healer of conflict.
0: Beautiful. Yes. And one of the things I loved the term oftentimes we hear of attorneys as being sharks. Yeah. And I love your thing about instead of a shark approach your dolphin approach. Yeah. Can you speak about what that is? I love that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, dolphins besides dogs are my favorite animal and I've swam with them many times. They're extremely powerful yet very gentle. They weigh thousands of pounds, but you can swim with them. They go through your legs, they lift you up, and they're very gentle. So I think that is what I want to be. I want to be, and I try to do this, is that I'll be gentle on the people, hard on the problem, and then also be powerful yet gentle so that people will want to engage and want to be doing what I call solutioneering, which is instead of saying problem-solving, I coined the word solutioneering. So when I sit down with couples or I sit down with business partners who are dissolving their relationship, we talk about finding solutions, and that's what I call solutioneering.
0: I loved that term too. I was going to bring that up later on because that is so great because it really is it's engineering right? The problem solving process.
1: Yes. And I think if we say the word problem, words are so powerful that if we use negative words, it really has a negative impact. So when I go into a mediation and I'm there to help people resolve their conflicts, I go in with positive words instead of saying, this is a problem. This is a challenge for all of us to overcome. And so I think it's really important the words that we use with our friends, with our families, because they will create the reality, either negative or positive, that we want.
0: Absolutely. I I say that so much in my therapy with my clients and in my transformational coaching. I just find that it is, it's the words that we use and the meanings those words hold that can either make a bridge in a relationship or break it. Yeah. Yeah. And so speaking of that, one of the words that you talk about that is so heavy laden is the word conflict. Yes. And you have an interesting take on conflict. Most people want to avoid that like the plague. How, what, what is your definition of conflict and how can conflict be a gift in our lives?
1: Yes. People was, I was going to name my, our book, The Gift of Conflict. And then everybody went crazy and said, Why would you name it The Gift of Conflict? No one wants conflict, but conflict is inevitable in our lives. It's divergent thinking, it's divergent values. And so if we can look at conflict, As an opportunity. In fact, the Chinese word for conflict is really made up of two different symbols. One symbol means danger. The other is opportunity. So we have a choice. When a conflict arises, if you think about anyone you've had conflict with, a spouse, a teenager, a, a business partner, a, a, a fellow workplace person that you get either a boss or someone who is your peer, you, are, you have a choice. In that moment, when that divergent thinking occurs, you have a choice. Can I say this is an opportunity for me to really resolve this and get to know this person better? And think of something more creative to sol- to solve this, or do I want it to escalate to where we hate each other? And we've seen too much of that in our society. And yeah, it I choose that it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity in disguise. And so, if we look at it as, wait, "What gift is there for me? What can I learn from this? What am I really? What do I really want?" do I want more respect? Do I want to feel cared about if it's in a relationship? What am I missing? Or what is someone doing that they're there? Even when someone says something nasty to you, that's a sign of disrespect. And we all want to be respected. So conflict can be an opportunity in disguise if you choose to make it that way. And I choose to make it that way, that this is out of conflict comes a lot of beauty when you think about conflict in nature, like when the uh, caterpillar goes through all this conflict in their body and then they come out as a butterfly. If we look at that in our own lives, when we've had conflict, you know, we've uh, evolved. And so it can be a gift if we choose it to be.
0: Such beautiful words. I love that. I love that because I think oftentimes couples in the moment they don't realize that they have a choice. And I, I also, I, I just, I'm resonating with you so much because there really is that opportunity that we can look at what is the goal of this communication. Even if the communication comes out of conflict, we have this choice to make it an opportunity to understand and connect with one another. Instead of have it be something that 's divisive, right. so yeah that 's such a beautiful reframing of conflict that we don 't have to be afraid of it. that it can it yeah. can actually be yeah. something so powerful in deepening our relationship and asking for what we need out of relationship. love that yeah we
1: don 't uh, you know what i 've learned in my long life here and also with dealing people with dealing with people in conflict for the past 35 years as an attorney mediator, I see that people will escalate it in certain ways by uh, blaming each other, attacking each other. If it only takes one person in a conflict to be, to rise above that and to be calm and to be mindful and to change the game. So, That's why it's so helpful to have mediation because you have this third party neutral who can, sometimes I feel like I'm a referee, but other times I'm going, I listen to each person in the conflict and reframe back what they've said, and then the people can understand each other. And so I think that it just takes one person in that conflict to say, wait a minute, What do I really want? I really want to resolve this. So no matter if if someone attacks you or is disrespectful, I just have to be the one to be mindful and put up my golden shield, so to speak, and just not engage. It's about that other person. It's not about me. Of course, if I did something wrong, I have to ask for forgiveness and, and be, but if I'm not engaging, then I can be the transformational person in that conflict.
0: And that was the question I was going to ask you, because when people get what I call activated or someone gets triggered, and so it, it is maybe explosive or intense emotions for a moment, and maybe both people are having a difficult time disengaging What is your advice? What should people do in those heated moments?
1: What I do when I'm in a a room, when everybody starts to get heated, I have an Asian bell. I don't have it in front of me right now, but I have a rule that when that bell rings, everybody stops and you can't speak until the sound goes away. Now that is a neurological thing to do because when you disengage and you breathe, you can go from your amygdala, which is the reactive part of your brain, the fight, flight, flee part of your brain. And you can then, when you just get centered for a moment, you get back to your frontal lobes, which is your executive thinking. And so it is really neurological to stop, to disengage. So if somebody starts on you and that your own body that you get that knife in your solar plexus or your face gets hot or your shoulders get tight, stop. Breathe. Take a moment. Now, if things are really hot, you might also sometimes say, hey, let's all take a break. Let's all get a cup of coffee. If I'm on Zoom, Doing a mediation, I'll go, okay, everybody, this is a bathroom break. We're going to be back in 10 minutes. And when people come back, then I go, I know things were hot. And that means that you're just very passionate. And that's great. Let's just start again. And now tell me from your perspective what's going on without blaming, without attacking. So that pregnant pause, so to speak, it could be a moment, it could be 10 minutes, it could be, let's talk next week. Take that paused and get mindful again. That is very powerful.
0: It is so powerful. And, and that is the key in my experience as well, is being able to just take that pause. And couples that I work with too, one of, one of the, I love this, a couple came up with their own term for when they get to that place. Yeah. And they say, landmine, <laughs> one of them will say, you know, that they realize because in couples as so well, oftentimes they get in this patterned conflict yes. and it, it mm-hmm. seems to reoccur. And knowing that's one of the things that they would say when they get into that place. And it meant exactly what you said when we hit the landmine then it means we need to take a break. Yes. We need to get back to, to exactly that, our prefrontal cortex where we can self-soothe, where we can make executive mm-hmm. decisions and relate to each other from a place actually where we're dropping out of our heads and into our hearts. Yes, exactly. Instead of who's right or wrong.
1: And asking yourself questions, which I know you do all the time. I, I tell people, just ask yourself for a moment, what am I feeling? I'm feeling hurt. I might be angry, but it's really deriving from my hurt. Or it's from a feeling of feeling disrespected or feeling ignored or all the different feelings that we have, which we all go through. And once we know that, then the next question is, what do I really want? If it's a relationship with your loved one or your daughter, or your son, your teenager, or even uh, a, your partner in a business, what do I really want? I really want to be heard. I really want to discuss this. So then you go back and say, you know, it's free to apologize, to say, you know, I started to get hot and I'm really sorry. I really apologize for my part of it. And I want to just start again and tell you from my perspective, like where I'm at, I really didn't mean to attack or I didn't mean to be disrespectful or whatever you did. That was not my intent. My intent was really to resolve this with you. So can we do that right now? And, and let me tell you what I was thinking and what's important to me. And I want to hear what's important to you. Or you might
0: even start out, I really want to hear what's important to you first. How do you teach people about active listening? Because that really is what it is. And and my term for that is open-hearted listening where we're actually out of our ego a little bit. And yeah, help us understand that a little bit more. How do you get to active listening? Yeah,
1: active listening is so important because it sets up a reciprocal process where if I listen to you, Stephanie, then you're more likely and open to listen to me. And especially if I'm not attacking as I'm going, if I'm just talking about, this is how I'm feeling, this is what I want, So how do we do that? Well, it's discipline. It's instead of doing something else, like you're on the phone with somebody, you're trying to resolve it, and you can hear them tap, tap, they're multitasking. Absolutely, that is like the worst thing you can do. So whether you're in person or lately, we're all on Zoom or FaceTime or something, it's best to do it where you can see the person, whether it's in person or not. And then just say, I want to hear where you're at. And I won't interrupt. And then for me, I I take notes. I take notes, but I look, I take a note and I look. And then when I've heard the person speak, I'll say, let me see if I got this right. So I have to listen really carefully so I can write it down or at least I can repeat back. So then what I do is I say, okay, this is what I heard you say. Stop me if I got it wrong, because obviously I'm going to interpret it in my brain. So I'll say something like, I heard you say that you feel really abandoned by me when I'm out running around doing work. I, I heard you say that I'm not being respectful of you when I ask you to do something in a certain way. So, When I get through that, then I'll say, did I get that right? And then the other person will say, yeah, you got that right. Or they'll say, you got part of it, but you didn't get it all. I go, okay, tell me more. Tell me more. So once I, 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 then I'll say, did I hear everything? Did I get it all? And then the other person will say, yes or no. And I'll say, okay, tell me more. (laughs) Until I just let them really vent or let them say what they need to say. And the more calm I am without being defensive, without interrupting, just because I listen does not mean I agree. That's an important issue. Yes. I can listen and say, from your perspective, this is how you see it. Is that right? Because I didn't say it's my perspective. Oh, now I can understand how you're feeling. Gosh, I had no idea that you were saying it that way. And I apologize that it was not clear what I was saying. Apologies are so cheap. It costs you nothing. and But it has to be really genuine. It has to be really sincere. So uh, uh, I think apologies go a long way to resolving conflict. And then after you've been listening and repeating back, I want to say one caveat. If someone says, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, just you can say, I hear you're not happy with me. That's called reframing. You don't want to say, I hear you think I'm an idiot. We don't want to say that. We want to just say, I hear you're really not happy with me or I hear you think that I really wasn't listening or I wasn't acting in accordance with the way I should have been acting. So so you, that's called reframing where you take the words and make them more neutral. Okay? And and then you get to be heard. So since you've heard, you demonstrate what you want to be done and just say, you know, yeah, I w- may I be heard now? Yeah, I'll listen to you. And then you say something, don't say a real lot. Say something and say, help me understand. Could you tell me what you heard so I make sure that I said it in a way that was understandable? So say it in short pieces.
0: I think that's all such important information. That whole thing of that active listening where you're not interrupting like you said and i think it's important too that if you're doing active listening you're not thinking of your response to what the person's saying either it's like being very present so that you're holding the space you're holding this other person in respect and really being there being present listening to what they say i love the idea of writing it down So that then you're reframing it back and my goodness, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to check out like you were talking about checking out the meaning. Because even if we are with a partner for 30, 40 years, I've had, I know you've had these clients and I've had these clients that think we know what each other thinks. It's almost like we can read each other's minds. And I'm always like, no, you cannot. And the only thing we have to communicate be- besides our nonverbals are words. Yes. So we we have to get back in that place of curiosity where we're like, wow. I really want to listen to this other person's point of view. And because we're two different people, it's really easy to misinterpret. Yes, I want to make sure if you and I, Mari, are, are talking or we had a conflict that I'm really listening. So I'm really getting what it is you're trying to tell me.
1: And if I'm really listening like what you're talking about and I'm either writing it down or I'm just listening intently, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say in response to be defensive, if I'm really doing that, it really empowers me. People don't realize how much information you can get by just listening. If I listen carefully, I'm empowered to suggest things that might work to resolve the issue. And so if people think instead of I'm listening and I don't want to listen, da, 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 but if they say I'm listening because I'm empowering myself to really understand so that I can make some changes in this relationship, at least from my perspective, then it's it's a very powerful way So I think effective listening for me as a mediator, if I don't listen, I'm never going to get a deal. Same thing if you negotiate, if you don't really listen and be present, like what you're talking about, be mindful, be conscious, and I got my head somewhere else, there's no way I'm going to miss things and I'm not going to be able to address everybody's needs and get their needs met,
0: nor mine. And I love the other piece that you said, too, about having things time limited, because we know we all reach that threshold if we're talking something to death and we just shut down. So to be able to say, as you said, after the first person goes, when you're the one responding next, to not go on for half an hour. And I just think there's power in being able to say I want to respond. I want to say that I've heard you and we can go into this conversation. And yet let's not drag it into ad nauseum. Exactly.
1: And sometimes people will say the same thing over and over. And they think if they say the same thing over and over, what it's going to do is convince the other side. (laughs) And I'll sit there in mediation. I'm going, I I have one client right now. She she wants what she wants and she'll say it the exact same way like. Ten million different times. And then I'll say, this is what I heard. I heard you say this. Is that right? Yes. Okay. She'll say it again. I go, remember, I, I just told you that I heard you say this. Is this right? Yes. Because it, we, otherwise you go in circles. You go in circles. So yeah, it's really important when you want what you want, you're not going to get it by bow beating the other side. <laughs>
0: You're listening to a podcast on the Loudspeaker Network. To find other podcasts and unique programming, visit www.loudspeaker.fm. Loudspeaker, Loudspeaker, diverse voices, unique sound.
1: Hey there, I'm Sarah Manares, the host of the WE Podcast, your space for inspiration, stories, and real talk. On the We Podcast, we love talking about the things most people don't openly talk about. The real, messy human experience and how we can grow through it. Tune in on Loudspeaker every week on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Mountain and on Tuesdays on any of your favorite podcast apps. Join us in this space that's all about connecting through our stories, showing up for the real, and embracing the truth that we are not on this journey alone. See you there.
0: And all of this is so important, right? During this time of pandemic when our all of us have been if we live with a partner we've been with them quite a bit. And so I imagine in your business, you're seeing a lot of this. I see a lot of this where people either are really having powerful connection and communication or things are really breaking down and they're struggling. What would your advice be for people right now that are really in that place of struggle and conflict
1: it's another opportunity in disguise, but I think you need to, whether you're in a small apartment or you're in a large house, you need to have some autonomy and togetherness. And so it might be hard because let's say you've got five teenagers or five little ones, even worse. So you have to find time to, to have some time to yourself. And you have to have time to really connect. And you have to set boundaries. And boundaries are not easy, especially when you are shuttered up in the same house and you can't go anywhere. So I suggest you take walks sometimes. And I take walks with my dogs and my husband, and we get out in nature. And I see parents, even with teenagers, going for walks and it's wonderful. Luckily, I live in Southern California, so it's 80 degrees and I, most of the time. And even if it's 60, it's still great. So we can go somewhere and get out. But even if you're in the snow, you can just get out of the house together. Do something that is fun. Do something that's enjoyable, but make time to connect. And again, you want to be respectful. You want to, I have these the six A's of any relationship, which before I forget them, <laughs> you want to be appreciative. Every night, my husband and I say to each other three things that we're grateful for that happened during the day, whether it's something we did together or something that happened. I could say, gee, I had this wonderful talk With Stephanie James today, and she is the author of The Spark. (laughs) So I can that will be one of my things. Or he might say, I had a great talk with my dad. He's been sick, and he really connected with me. So we do three things, and then we appreciate each other. So I say thank you for everything that my husband does. I say thank you for everything, little things, big things. That's a huge thing. Is being people want to have gratitude for what they do. Okay? okay. So appreciation, another one is affection. Right now it's hard. I have my co-author in my book is not he's single now. He's not in a relationship right now. And he can't wait for this to be over because he said he's so lonely. Even though he's on Zoom all day long and he's with clients. It's really hard. You need to have that affection, that touch So I tell people, get a dog or a cat. You know, I got my two dogs and my husband. I'm so lucky (laughs) that I can get affection. You can't forget to have uh, affection with your kids and your family. And you miss hugging friends. That's really an important thing do something. There's, I heard that there's no dogs at the ASPCA anymore because everybody that's has dogs and they're like, their unconditional love. Dog is God spelled backwards. So for me, when I am cuddling with my 80 pound golden retriever <laughs> or, or my Boston Terrier, it feels good. So that's another thing. Do that with your loved ones, your kids. It's people that are around you get a lot of affection. Another one is assurances. Say what you're going to do and then do it. Mm -hmm. And don't do something underhanded, cheat on your spouse. You need to have assurance. I need to know that I can trust people who are in a relationship with me. I can trust my paralegal. I can trust my friends. And if I can't trust people, then I need to be in, in a different relationship very important for me to be able to trust. And then acceptance. You usually are in relationships with someone who's different than you. And so this is a biggie, is accept without trying to change. And people get into relationships and they think they're going to change. And, and I hear this when I'm in divorce mediation. It one spouse will say, you kept trying to change me. You wanted me to be like your mother or you wanted me to be different than I am and you never accepted me. So that's another one. And then allowing for the differences, just really having fun with it beyond accepting. It's like really allowing. You need your time alone. You need to go fishing or hunting or whatever. I need to go and engage in all of these workshops, allowing that between each other. So those are basically the six A's that really help. And, and it's harder when you don't have that a part-time, but you have to make that a part-time too.
0: I absolutely love those six A's. So essential. I just, I'm like listening to that and just going, oh my gosh, yes, yes. And I love that you do the affirmations before bed. Because I always say what we're thinking about or talking about right before bed, we're going to be marinating on for the next seven, eight, nine hours. So Yeah, such essential tools. And I'm curious, w- would you be willing to share, Mari, something from your own life when this conflict, when a conflict or something became a gift for you?
1: It. I would say that it's a blessing in disguise, and it's probably an opportunity to grow. My husband and I have very different political thoughts. And that it has been really rough during the past couple of years. And and so at first I wasn't really walking my talk and it would escalate. And that wasn't healthy for me or for him. I'm human. So that's the way it Thank is. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm still in this incarnation. If I was an angel, I wouldn't have to be in this body. But what really helped me was to be conscious about it And to say, what do I really want? Do I want to allow or accept who he is and what he's thinking? Do I want to be respectful? And do I want to be respected? So when I ask myself those questions, that's when we would say, if things started to get where it was a little bit escalated, we would just say, okay, no more. I accept where you are. You accept where I am. We're not there. We agree with so many other things in our lives. We'll just let it go. And so that has been a big challenge for me, but it had also been evolutionary because I have to keep taking the pregnant pause <laughs> or, or taking that time out or making that off limits. Sometimes things have to be off limits. If everything else is working, just make that off you. That's that I have to accept. That's who he is. He has to accept where I am. And that's it. So, yeah, some people listening may be in the same situation. And the same thing happens with really emotional issues like politics, religion. I have friends that go to our church that husband never comes. He goes to the Catholic church. She comes to our New Thought Church. And she isn't there i feel fortunate because we can go together it's acceptance that gets back to acceptance and respect for the other person
0: and what a great example it's like that love and acceptance and respect for one another when you can say the things that you two said to each other okay we are not going to agree on this (laughs) and that's okay. I still love you. I still think you're an amazing right. human being and I don't have to agree with you on everything. What right. an amazing growth edge that is.
1: Yeah. It, it's an evolutionary thing. Now, if there was cheating, that would be different. There, again, that gets back to boundaries. When I say accepting or allowing, that doesn't, I have to have certain guidelines and certain boundaries Something, if someone wants to think about something differently than me and it doesn't hurt me, then it's okay. It doesn't hurt me. But if it was something about our relationship, that would be a different story. I just wanted to clarify that. I don't accept or allow, and I'm sure he wouldn't accept or allow, if either one of us were, you know, cheating on each other, things like that, okay, Mm -hmm. or lying, There are certain things that these are my boundaries. This is getting back to gentle yet powerful. Gentle. Be hard on the issue and soft on the person.
0: Yes. Yeah, thank you for that distinction because I think that is really important. I know a lot of the times when I have couples in to therapy, one of them will say, this is just who I am. I'm just grouchy every day and you just have to accept me for who I am and I always say no that's a cop-out you know that's the way that this person's choosing not to show up in relationships so I do appreciate that I think one of the gifts that we give one another is to allow each other to be our authentic selves and yet we each have a growth edge we don't yeah. come into relationship perfect. We never arrive there. And there has to be boundaries. There has to be things like no verbal abuse, no mm-hmm. calling names, no cheating. There, there has to be these boundaries in relationships and no lying. Yes. Exactly. Those, those are all just deal breakers. So yes, mm-hmm. I can accept you and allow you to show up as you are. And I'm still going to have the boundary that, yeah, this is where it stops with me.
1: And that gets to the issue about negotiating. And people say, you don't, I don't know how to negotiate. Everybody knows how to negotiate. Some people have it at a higher level. And I teach negotiation. And you basically have, when, when conflict arises, you can negotiate for change. First, there's really four, you only have four choices, right? I can. Change myself, which I think is great. When people go to you and they're in a difficult relationship, they'll go to you and you help them to see their part of it. So important. I really am a believer in therapy, so this is a, a good uh, advertisement for you. I'm a 100% believer in, in therapy. I ask all my clients to go through therapy. Okay, so that's number one. Work on myself. Negotiate with myself for change. Then the second thing I can do, that's one one choice. Another choice is to negotiate for change, to really sit down and say, look, this is really important to me. What's important to you? Can we, if I do this, if I am home every night, will you just take trips once every two months? Something like that. Let's, I'll do this and you do this. You have to get something in return. Okay. So that's the second thing. The third thing you can do is you can just be miserable, not negotiate for change, but people need to realize in a relationship, being miserable is a choice. It's a choice. And fourth one is you can just leave. So This is the order that I suggest that people do from all the years of seeing divorcing people with the blame and the guilt and the nastiness and the accusing and the attacking is number one, work on yourself. Be the best you can be. And you can at the same time or next, negotiate for change. People only change if they want to, but if you're negotiating for change, I'll do this if you do that. Third one, being miserable is a choice and recognize it. If you choose to be miserable, that is your choice. Or getting up and leaving, sometimes that's the best choice. Sometimes it's a cop-out. So if you try the first two, work on yourself and then negotiate for change, if you try those two and they don't work, and number three of being miserable is not a choice you want to make that's when you know it's time to leave. That's when you know.
0: Yeah. And I, I love that you're giving people permission because I think so many times people feel like, oh, no matter what, I need to stay. I need to work this out. I made a promise at one point, so I'm going to stay in this no matter how bad or abusive or negative it gets. And people, do- they don't have to stay miserable. Part of making that choice is, okay, we've worked on this, we've tried these different things and the the next logical choice is we need to get out.
1: And it doesn't have to be nasty either. If you've tried number one, meaning worked on yourself and you've tried number two, negotiating for change and you neither of you want to be miserable, you could say, you know what, we tried these things. Let's come out of this marriage or this relationship in a positive way. Or let let me leave this company in a positive way, so if you 've done this with dignity, if you 've done this with consciousness and mindfulness, then you could just say this isn 't working for you, and it 's not working for me i don 't want to hurt you you don 't want to hurt me and that 's when those people come to me in mediation oh i 'm so thrilled because they come with an adult attitude we 've tried everything it isn 't working. It's 30 years, we've grown apart, we've, we just can't do it. Then it's a better way to go than litigation. They're really problem solving, they're dividing the community property, they're working on child support, child, child custody, spousal support. That is the beauty when they've really done this with all their heart and genuine soul and it's time to move on. And I believe that sometimes we come together in a relationship to grow. And when we've outgrown each other, sometimes it is time to let it go.
0: The title of your book, Fighting for Love, why is that so important? And what does that mean to you?
1: Fighting for love means that you're fighting against anything that gets in the way of really having a loving relationship. So you want to fight against the the anger. You want to fight against the blaming. Fight against the, the, the guilt, the attacking. And fight against anything in you that keeps you from getting the love you want. And it usually starts with us. I notice that if I work on myself and I fight against everything in me that wants to attack or wants to control or wants to be disrespectful to give me power, if I fight against that in myself and I fight against that in our relationship, then I'm going to turn conflict into intimacy because when we really connect by listening to each other, it transforms that conflict into a very connected, intimate relationship, which improves your understanding of each other, improves your communication and, you know, and your sex life. You're making love together. You're going to feel that you are really with your soulmate. And it's a beautiful evolution. It really is.
0: Absolutely beautiful. Love that. Thank you so much, Mari. And, and what would you say if you had to leave us with an essential message for listeners that are still, we're still in this pandemic, we're still dealing with a world that at times is very unpredictable. What would your message of fighting for love and the importance of this communication and connection, what would you leave us with?
1: I would leave this with you doing your own inner work, which I know you believe in also. Always ask for what you want, not what you don't want. So when you're talking to your loved one, never say, don't do this. Say, I would be thrilled if you would do this. Or I would love this and I want to know what you would love. So that you're now focusing on this thing here, this connection of asking for what you want, but be clear, find out what it is you really want. I want to feel loved. I want to feel connected. I want to feel appreciated. I want to feel respected. Tell each other this. Everybody really wants those things. And just say, okay, we both want this, so let's work on it. Let's work on it. And then you can turn that conflict into intimacy.
0: Yeah. Yes. So it's focusing on what we want instead of what we don't want in yes. relationship. Yes. And what a beautiful way to help people to really work out their struggles, their difficulties, and to really come together. Mari, thank you so much for being here on The Spark and sharing your just important yeah. and valuable message with us.
1: Thank you so much, Stephanie, for having me. And thank you for being on my show. It's, I think we are on a similar wavelength. So coming from different, different paths, but going to the same destination of, you know, connecting and being loving and being the best we can be.
0: many valuable tools from Mari Frank and what an amazing book fighting for love turning conflict into intimacy what excellent steps and advice number one how do we turn conflict into a gift And it is a gift when we learn how to do this open-hearted listening and when we're able to do what Mari called active listening. And we may choose to do that through writing down what our partner is saying when we're in those kind of conversations so we can come back and get clarity and further connection. And the goal of these conversations really to be connection, understanding, not who's right or wrong, to step out of our egos. This is just essential information. And it really is so timely. I love that she also shared with us the six A's and part of those being Allowing our partner to show up and be themselves, again, still having boundaries, still knowing where those boundaries lie, but really accepting one another for who we are and that we're not going to be the exact same person. Also, I love the affirmations before you go to bed. Such a great idea to end the night with what we are grateful for. And it can be during our day or also things that we're grateful for one another. And I love that because it puts that deposit in each other's emotional bank account, really important stuff. So also I think that it's really important that we do fight for love that what we do and we can call it fighting for love what it is that we agree that we're going to take responsibility for our part in our relationships and so we're willing to do the work so that we can choose do i want to be in this relationship am i willing to look at what is my peace what am i contributing to either the well-being or the dis ease in this relationship and then doing the work our own self-healing so we're showing up as our best self in relationship and then also that we're able to negotiate in relationships we're willing to say hey let's both talk about what is it that we really do want in this relationship and making those goals a priority that those are the things that you can start getting excited about in your relationship and these are the healing components when the end we all want to be listened to we all want to be loved for who we are And I think it's important that we all remember we all have a growth edge. So being willing to change, being willing to grow. And I think in the end, this is the beautiful thing. These relationships that we're willing to work on, that we're really willing to show up for and really love each other through that this is all part of what becomes the healing of our world, because as we heal ourselves, we do heal our relationships, and then that's going to trickle down to our children, to our families, to the people that we work with. It's just powerful ingredients to live a spark-filled life. Thanks for joining me.